I'm so happy you're here. Uh, it's been good to see so many faces that we've missed and struggled to figure out how to maintain relationships in the midst of all of this pandemic. And um, it's good to see new faces. We're glad you chose to spend some time with us today. Uh, and I am looking forward to the next year that we are going to be intentionally working towards uh, building better community and stronger relationships. We have tried to keep in touch with everyone. Uh, it's hard to do that. Relationships, as much as we enjoy uh, seeing each other in person, sometimes it's hard when we're apart. Some of our church family is visiting family for the first time in over a year this weekend. And it's an opportunity for us to remember how important relationships are and how key they are to being the church. So uh, this morning, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 24. I'm actually going to pick up the verse immediately where Ken left off. We've been talking about rising up the resurrection, and we've been talking about different resurrections that have happened in Scripture. So today we are going to talk about Jesus' resurrection, but we are going to look at a different story that is often not talked about at Easter, and that is the response of two particular disciples um, that uh, are walking away from the resurrection, questioning, discouraged, and frustrated. Sometimes, even at Easter, which is considered the most holy day for Christians, we can be frustrated and we can be sad and we can at times feel like we're not exactly sure what's happening. Last Easter was like that for many of us. This Easter is still like that for many. And sometimes it's that way in our lives, even when there's not a pandemic going on. So we're going to be looking at... at that story, we are going to share communion together this morning. So if you're joining us online, I want to encourage you to find some things at home that you can take communion with us. Uh, it can be you know, grape juice and crackers, or, or you may make some unleavened bread real quick. It doesn't have to, doesn't have to rise, right? So uh, you can do that real quick, or you can just grab cookies and milk if you want to. I've heard that is a favorite among many of our online uh, worshipers, milk and cookies. So um, the point of communion is is that we remember what Christ has done for us, not what we actually take it with. But um, in a few minutes, I'll give you an opportunity to come up and take one of these. Um, they are, they're individually packaged ones. We're still not back to doing communion as we normally do, um, but we want to do that together this morning. So I want to share a few things with you, and I want to begin with just reading this story about two disciples that following all the events that we think about for Easter, their response is to just pack up and go home. So as we look through the story, what we want to find is why is that? What made them give up? And what can we glean from this and what we're looking for in a Savior ourselves? All right? So Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13 says that very day, talking about the very day all the events of the resurrection happened and all the news is spreading, that very day, two of them, talking about the disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. This is, a, this is right after the resurrection. 
and he shows up with these two guys that have decided to go home. Verse 16 says something very interesting to me. It says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? As if Jesus didn't know. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of these who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, I pray this Easter that we would see. Father, we know the story. We know the rest of the story. God, I pray we would not miss this opportunity to be reminded that you appear to us as you are, not as we want you to be. You can be found only in who you truly are, not in who we wish you would be. Father, I pray that in these next few minutes, We would see these two disciples in our own lives, and we would learn the lessons that they learned. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. One of the interesting things about this story are that these two disciples are two disciples of the larger group. Now, we talk about the 12, and at this point we're at the 11 because Judas has now departed, and they have not yet brought in the 12th replacement disciple. But these were not the only disciples. In fact, there were lots of other disciples. These 12 were the 12 that that Jesus was pouring into. And even within these 12, there were some of them that he poured more into than others. And then they would go out and pour into all the rest of the disciples. So like us today, these two disciples would be considered two people that were following Jesus, that were in Jerusalem, likely for the Passover, but they were not quite sure they believed what they were hearing. <laughs> and they certainly didn't believe anything that they didn't see. And we have this strange story in which Jesus seems to appear to them almost immediately, even before he appears to the rest of the 11. And they don't recognize him. I think this is an interesting story because I just wonder how you don't recognize Jesus at this point, right? Of course, I wonder that about many things in our culture, and I wonder that also about myself at times. Have you ever known somebody in one area of your life, and yet you see them somewhere in another area of your life, and you don't recognize them? Does anyone else do that? Like some of you, I'll see you at church, and if you're at church, I know who you are, but if I see you in public, I may not recognize you, even though you have the exact same face, or at least right now, the exact same eyes, right? (laughs) A lot of times we don't recognize. It always just bothers me 
that in our superhero movies, some of our superheroes are not recognized by people who should clearly be recognized. Does anyone else struggle with this? Like, how do you not know this is the person you've known your entire life? Like, just because they've altered their voice, I think you should recognize them. Two of our favorites, here's one of them. How do you not know that's not the same person? The glasses don't do enough to change your appearance. It still looks like him, doesn't it? Some of you are like, who is that? That's because you grew up when I grew up, and this next one is who you remember, right? The original. He's not actually the original. He's the one that most of us Superman popular in movies. How do you not know these two men are the same men, right? What's interesting about Jesus as well is that Jesus still has interestingly, because when he talks to Thomas, he's going to say, here, put your finger in my wound. Like he, It's not like he's completely different, but we'll talk about that in a minute. For some of you who are younger and you're thinking, yeah, I'm not really into Superman, maybe it's this one. It's Supergirl. How do you not know those are the same people? Right? Now, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Way too much confidence, right? It's like, it's like I'm standing here. It's a new person, right? You know, that's not how life works, okay? Where'd Mark go? Yeah, right. I thought about wearing camouflage today just for fun. See if you could see me up here. Of course you could. But interestingly, we do have this problem with Jesus. <laughs> we have this problem with Jesus. Do, do you know what is the most viewed, most reproduced, most known image of Jesus is? It's this one. This image you grew up with if you grew up in the 70s or the 60s. It actually came out in the 40s and has sold millions of times on all kinds of things. T-shirts, prayer cloths, all kinds of things. And interestingly, I don't think Jesus looked anything like that. <laughs> We've struggled with depicting who Jesus is for us throughout history. Here's another one. Maybe this looks a little more familiar. You've seen this Jesus, which begs the question of, is that really what he would have looked like? And I just wonder, would he have walked around and kind of hovered through the temple as he turned over the tables this weekend before looking like that, holding his hand up? Which is also crazy that we put halos around Jesus. Because do you know where halos come from? Halos don't come from Judeo-Christian background. Halos come from the worship of the sun god Ra. Go to the next one. Because every time the sun god Ra, who then morphs into other places throughout history, into other gods, it's still essentially the sun god Ra, they always have a sun over the God to because he was representative of the sun God. And Christianity early in art began to mix these images. And we took the sun from the sun God Ra that was worshipped by a pagan world and we put it behind Jesus. And so we get that image. If we go to the next one, there are other ways that we try to depict Jesus and who we want him to be. Don't we? And yet the one we are most familiar with 
is not the one that is most likely Jesus. We had a great conversation with our college group last week. We were talking about who is Jesus and how do we recognize him. We talked about the fact that about a decade ago, a group of of, uh, artists came together and pulled together some artifacts from the uh, first century um, Jewish culture and area to figure out what would a person actually look like from this time period and what would Jesus have actually looked like likely at the time in which he lived and he walked. And they came up with this representation that this is probably what a Jewish man around the first century would have looked like. And not only that, they would have been fairly short, probably around 5'10", 5'11". And you wonder why we don't have millions of these hanging up in our homes today, right? You're rushing to get one right now. You're looking it up on Etsy. How am I going to get this? I need a t-shirt with that guy on it right there. Because interestingly, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was not someone who was very attractive. In fact, there was nothing about his physical appearance that would make you want to have anything to do with him. And yet this is the image that we see in millions of homes around the world. Or we did. Go to that next one. Oh, go to the very first one. I didn't put the last, the next. Is, all right, there we go. This is the image we're comfortable with. The nice white European Pantene Jesus, right? You know he uses Pantene. You don't get that kind of hair washing it in a river. Come on. Give me a break. He's got a, he's got a grooming kit at home. So the reality is, is that the scripture actually says it was kept, their eyes were kept from seeing that this was Jesus. Almost as if God himself had orchestrated this so that they wouldn't see him and maybe they would have recognized him. Regardless of why they didn't recognize him, the truth for many of us today and that we have to wrestle with at Easter is sometimes we don't recognize him. Many times what we try to do is we try to remake Jesus into the Jesus we're most comfortable with. He's the, the one who forgives everything and is graceful, and he just pats us on the back and says, don't worry about it, I died for you. When the Jesus of Scripture is saying, pick up your cross and follow me. So we struggle just as these disciples struggle, but that's not really the whole point of this story. The One of the points of this story is, well, why did they struggle and how terrible would it have been to have missed Jesus when he was right in your midst? I tried to think about what, how how would we relate to this? Like, what are the things in our lives that that we might even uh, feel the way the disciples feel? And I, I really think every instance falls short. I think there's one in particular that could take someone like these disciples from the highs of expectations and excitement and belief and hope, and the world is going to change, and this is going to be great. Our lives will never be the same again. God is doing something amazing, and then to feel as if their hopes are dashed. And for many who have experienced the loss of a job, that feels bad, but I don't know that there's any other experience that might feel as close to this as perhaps the loss of a child or a miscarriage, in which you have hopes and expectations and belief, and life's different, and it's going to be good. 
and then it's all over. Many people experience that throughout their lives, and I think if you have experienced that, you might be closer to the heart of these men than anyone else. I just want to share a very few things with you today. I think we've we've had a wonderful time of worship and and hearing a reading of the Word and uh, poetry, and many of you joined us for Stations of the Cross on Friday, which was just, it's so incredibly powerful, which Tracy was, it's really her brainchild and and pulled that together. Uh, We've had lots of ways to worship. I don't think we need to stay here and talk about this story too long, but I want you to take some things away to consider this Easter weekend. One is this, Jesus is closer to you more than you ever know. Even when you feel like he's not anywhere around. And we see it perfectly illustrated in this story. Even when we don't recognize him, he is closer to us than we could possibly ever know. As we read through the story, Jesus kind of comes in, and it's kind of a funny story, and it just demonstrates to me that Jesus has a sense of humor. I love the, the depictions of Jesus when he's laughing. I think he experienced all the things that we experience, and he, he walks in, and I just wonder if he's a little giddy. I mean, he's just come back from the dead. I would be a little giddy if I had just come back from the dead, but he just come back from the dead, and he's like, I, you, know what, you, know, you know what we're going to do first? We're going to go talk to these two guys who think it's all over. And then he walks up next to them and is just walking. You know, they're none the wiser. And then he asks this question, hey, what you talking about? And their response is probably what our response would be. Do you, do you not know what has just happened? Oh, no. What happened? Is it literally what, not literally, but, but that's, what Je- that's the sense of what Jesus says. Oh, really? Like what? What happened? And so they go on to say, and they say this very interesting thing. They say this, that Jesus, who was this great prophet, came and we had hoped that he would bring redemption to Israel. This is, this is where we sometimes struggle in our faith because here's two perspectives. The perspective of one is we had hoped and yet we are disappointed that he did not talking to Jesus who just rose from the dead knowing that he had just brought redemption to Israel. The problem in this story is that these two disciples who at some point were part of the larger group had decided this was not real. This didn't happen. This Jesus who we had hoped in, he's gone. He's dead. And even though they said he was alive, we've not seen him. And yet even now to Why didn't they believe? Why didn't they see? And what often happens within our faith is when we are looking for a Jesus who is different from the real thing, we will miss the real thing. And that's what we miss. I think you're here today because you're looking for the real Jesus, right? Some of us have gone through some different seasons of our life in which we have felt like we, we thought we knew who Jesus was, but it took some time and it took some suffering and it took some hardship and it took some disappointments to realize the Jesus I was looking for was not the Jesus who's really real, but when you find that Jesus is really real, that's when things really start making sense. When life starts getting good, when, when Jesus becomes beautiful to you, not just utility for us to get to heaven. He becomes the treasure buried in the field that we sell everything so we can buy that field and have that treasure. He's really good. 
When we look back at redemption, why did they think that he had failed? Interestingly, the first place we read about redemption in the Bible, do you know where it is? It's, it's in Exodus. Because God brought a man to redeem Israel from Pharaoh. Moses was called to redeem them from the oppressive slavery they had found themselves, even though the only reason Egypt was as powerful as it was was because of the Jews. If you go back and read the story of Joseph. The only reason they had wealth through the midst of a famine was because of Joseph. And yet then they became enslaved, and they were looking for a redeemer, and the redeemer was Moses. Now, you can understand why they would believe that this is who Jesus was going to be, and many of those who celebrated Jesus as he walked into Jerusalem, they, they had the same problem, and this is exactly why they wanted Barabbas returned to them instead of Jesus returned to them, uh, so that Jesus would be crucified instead of Barabbas, because Barabbas was a rebel. He was a fighter. He was a soldier fighting not Egypt, but their oppressors, who was Rome. They wanted somebody to bring them freedom from their oppressor. And yet instead of Jesus walking in and doing that, which in their minds probably made sense, Jesus came in to Jerusalem on this weekend, which they were celebrating Passover, which is literally the celebration of the redemption of Israel from Pharaoh. And not only that, Jesus walks in and gives us one of his moments in which it causes us to question who is the real Jesus in our own minds. He walks in and he goes to the temple and he, for the second time, turns over all the tables. And you can imagine these two disciples are thinking, this is happening. Like, this is going down. This is happening right now. Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's Passover. He's going to redeem us. He's overturning the, oh, Rome is next. Let's get all our disciples together. We're going to take these guys out. And instead, Jesus lets them march him off. Imprison him, beat him, murder him, and in their minds, it's all over. All over. What is the all over moment for you? What is it that Jesus doesn't do that brings you to the all over moment? Like, I'm done, Jesus. Like, if we, if we can't handle this most basic expectation that I'm done. I'm moving on. For these two disciples, they believed Jesus was impressive. They believed Jesus was a prophet. They believed Jesus was an incredible man of God and even say so and say that he did many powerful things. They saw all those things and still missed him. You know know what Paul said about this very reality? He said, I am scared, I'm paraphrasing, I am scared to death, I'm going to preach all this stuff, and then I'm going to miss him. This was Paul's fear. I'm scared to death, I'm going to miss the real Jesus. Jesus is closer than you ever know. question that I'll leave us with today and is who did they think Jesus was? Who did they think Jesus was? Which for me personally takes me to the place where I then have to consider who do I think Jesus is? 
Like, this is a hard question. I think he is a savior. I think Jesus is the son of God. I think Jesus is the redeemer. Do I also think he's some other things? He's going to rescue me from my bad choices? Do I think he's going to make my life a smooth path that everything's going to go well and I'm never going to hurt and I'm never going to suffer and I'm never going to regret a decision? Who do I think Jesus is? One thing I love about this story, and I think this is such a powerful story for us at Easter, is that the reality of who Jesus is and his love for us when he talks about going after the the one, leaving the 99 to go after the one, is he does that even after we have seen a glimpse of him and we have turned the other way. Jesus looks for you even when you get it wrong. And this is what makes Jesus Jesus, right? This is what has to be one of the galvanizing realities of the church today is that we don't push people away even when they get it wrong. We go to them because that's what Jesus does, right? I could ask, and I don't really want to know the answer. I know the answer, I think, but I could ask, do Christians today still love people whom those same Christians think they've gotten something wrong. Some of you would say, yes, and that's the way you live your life. And some of you would say, no, and you've been on the receiving end of a lot of hate because they, you were perceived to have gotten something wrong. All the things Jesus could have done. I, 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 here's what I would have done if I were Jesus, which is all very dangerous to launch down this little rabbit hole, isn't it? Because I don't want to be struck by lightning up here. But if I were Jesus, the last people I would go to are the people that heard the story that I had come back from the dead and they still were walking home. Like, don't let the door hit you, right? Isn't that what you would do? That's what I would do. I'm not as graceful as some of you in the room, but... I'm not going to talk to them. They had it. They had it all. They heard the report. And they still left. And yet this is where Jesus goes. How do we go to people who we deem have gotten it wrong? I will tell you, and we've talked about this in the last few weeks, one of the reasons that I feel able to go to people, even when I feel like they've gotten it wrong, even when they get mad at me, even when they hate me, even when they're going to give up on me, is I recognize I do this to Jesus all the time, and he is still there with me. Why can I not do that for others too? Who do, who do I think Jesus is? Who do you think Jesus is? Take some time this Easter weekend to think about who is Jesus really to you? Who is he? One of the confessional statements that I want us to take when we take communion in just a minute is that some of my assumptions about Jesus are just wrong. They're just wrong. What am I doing to correct those assumptions? One of the powerful things that we have to do that is to do life with other people who are Christians and to sharpen each other as the Bible says and to bring all of our assumptions and not to get judgment, but for somebody at times to push back and say, I think that's not a good assumption to make. So that we grow by bouncing up against each other, pushing up against each other. Some of the groups that I spend time with and I'm able to just talk and be myself, 
They help me to grow because I, I'm able to put my assumptions out in full view, and sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes we have to confess that our assumptions are just wrong. This is what Jesus did. I skipped this. Let me finish the story so you know what happened with this story. Verse 25, after Jesus is walking with them, Jesus finally, and they still don't recognize him, Jesus says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? Because, I mean, he's been preaching this to his disciples now for a while. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, because he knew where their minds were, they were looking for, for a military Jesus. So he starts right where he knows they are. This is Passover. He's turning over tables. He's redeeming us from Rome. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So interestingly, they continue to walk and they continue to go. And in verse 28, it says, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted as if they were going, he were going further. Like, (laughs) yeah, I'm still, I got other places I need to go. And they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. It's towards the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. He demonstrated again who he is and what he was doing. Here's my prayer for us this Easter and as we are going to take communion together. It says that when they recognized him, they said to each other, when he was here and when he was teaching, did our hearts not burn within us? And is the last time your heart burned within you because of Christ? This Easter season, I, I hope you enjoy. We're, we've already had some egg hunts, and we're going to have an egg hunt here in just a few minutes. I hope you enjoy all those things. And if you do an Easter bunny or whatever, I don't know what you do for Easter. I hope you enjoy all those things. But may we not end this weekend without asking ourselves, who is Jesus to us? Does our heart burn within us because of who he is? And if it doesn't, something's wrong. And if your heart doesn't burn within you and you feel, well, that must be a failure as a Christian, just know that Jesus tends to walk alongside the roads of the people that get it wrong. Constantly drawing us back. I would want to encourage you to do that. When the early Christians got together, this idea of the resurrection was not something they just talked about at Easter. They talked about it every time they saw each other. Jesus is risen. Like we talk about that because we know the story. We've heard it since we were kids, but they lived it and they talked about it and they asked themselves, how do we change as a result of it? May that be what we do this Easter. I'm going to pray with you. 
as they're singing this last song, I want to invite you to come up and take one of these individual containers. I have one with me. And it's in two parts. These disposable things are so much fun, and they taste so good. But not really. But it's not about what we take communion with, is it? It's about the one in which we commune with. So on the bottom is a little cracker. Peel the bottom. You can pull it out. At the top, do this last. <laughs> Peel the top, and you'll expose the juice. Don't peel that, and then turn it over to get your, to your cracker. I've been warned that's a problem, so don't do that. But as we start this next song, come up and get one of these. And then at the conclusion of that song, we'll take communion together, and then we'll be finished for the day. Okay? Next week, I, we're actually going to continue with the resurrection theme because there's some more things I want to share with you and uh, some powerful things about our own transformation that I think we need to get right if we're going to follow Jesus in these next days. Father, I thank you that you have given us an opportunity to come freely and openly to worship. I thank you that 2,000 years later, you are still walking alongside of those that at times get it wrong. I thank you that you love us and you come after the one time and time again. But I'm also thankful that you rose from the dead. Just as Ken said, the only God who has ever been celebrated that actually came back from the dead and has history to show that he actually existed. Father, forgive us for our sins. And let us see you for who you really are, not just for who we want you to be, but who you really are, so that we can see you as you are. In Jesus' name we pray.